Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 249 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! Thanks for listening. In this episode, I talk to Jim Dershberger of Wide Right Interactive about their shoot 'em up, Freedom Binger. But before we delve into that, let's talk about what else is under Kane and Rince's vast umbrella. On Mondays, of course, we have Kane and Rince itself, the flagship podcast. This week, they're talking about Donkey Kong Country Trilogy. There's a tough set of platform games which I'm terrible at. Like them, I want to like them more, but they're just so difficult. Anyway, they're talking about that this week. Then on Wednesdays we have Sound of Play, where we celebrate the musical scores of video games. And on Thursday we have Playwright, where two people called Ryan talk about video games that they've invented based on the ideas sent to them by the listeners. It's quite excellent. And of course on Friday, there's the Sausage Factory, which you're listening to right now. So thanks for that. If you want to know more about those podcasts and look at the archives of all of those shows, you can get them from canandrince.com. That's right. There is a special website for Cane and Rinse. There you not only find archives of previous shows, but also an active forum. I know, weird, right? Also, um, reviews, previews, blog posts, features, all sorts of things. We also Twitch. That's right, well, stream on Twitch, that is. Myself, every Sunday about 8pm GMT, BST, depending on what time of year it is, I stream some random game. Last week at the time of recording, I actually did the Mega Drive Mini special. That was nice. Even did an unboxing. Yeah. But anyway, normally I just sort of randomly stream a game. And on Fridays we have uh, MK at his home base. Rather than Milton Keynes home base, just to be clear. There's some confusion there. But that's also excellent. He uh, typically, uh, Mikhail, he simply, uh, say simply, he generally streams games that are being played on Kane and Rinse. Which is nice. I try to do that sometimes, but not always. I like to broaden my palette a bit. So, if you want to chuck us a coin or two, you can. If you want to subscribe to our Patreon. If you go to www.patreon.com forward slash rinse, you will see the Patreon page for the show. Now, there's only one tier. Not even a multiple tier. Just the one. One US dollar. If you give us one US dollar, not only do you get an eternal gratitude but also extra content, and content delivered early. Yes, right. The content that's delivered early is you get Kane and Rinse one week early. Awesome. And also you get the content, oh sorry, platform exclusives that come out every three months. And the latest one behind the paywall is on the Dreamcast. And you want to listen to that. It's amazing. Really good show. But enough about that. Let's listen to me from the past talk about a game that features a massive finger 
in the shape of a spaceship. Or is that the way around? No, it's a spaceship in the shape of a finger. Anyway, you'll get it. Chris, get me out of this mess. Jim! Hello! Who are you? And what do you do? My name is Jim Dershberger. I am a designer at Wide Red Games. I also make films and cartoons and music videos and all that good stuff. It shows in your in your debut title, Freedom Finger. Yes. Which we're yes, going uh, to be talked about now because this leads on to my, my second question. So you asked the first one relatively well. Well done. Good, good job. Nailed it. Um, you nailed it. How did you start making flashy lighty video games? Oh, oh boy. Um, the difficulty ramps right up. So, yeah, you know, I've I've always been, probably you've heard this a million times, I've always been a gamer. I've always played games. That's the default. Um, yeah, I've always played games, and I've always admired uh, the craft of making games. So... I was doing a show for Nickelodeon called Sanjay and Craig um, that we're in the middle of production. The show's going great. We're getting nominated for Emmys and all those good things. And I just uh, I decided to go to GDC one year because I just couldn't stand it anymore. I had to know if it's possible to make a game. Can a guy just go make a game nowadays? And the answer was, yeah, it's incredibly difficult, but... Uh, you can do it. And after doing some some additional research and going to GDC again the following year, I made the decision. I'm gonna I'm going to make a game, and we did. As you said, it's called Freedom Finger. Um, probably by the time this is out, it'll have been released on Nintendo Switch and Steam. Um, and yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy journey. Um. As all game development, you know, uh, productions are. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 proud to say that we actually made it. We made a thing. We did it. It's gonna be out, and um, I got a lot to say about that. I'm sure. Yeah, I think the barrier of entry has definitely dropped, and you're not the first guest we've had on that's like this is their debut title. This is the first thing, or they've like, they've been doing another thing for many years, and they decide, you know what. I'm sure it's not like what it used to be because you don't need to need to know assembly anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it helps, games. I'm sure. Uh, well, not anymore. But it, 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 the low-level stuff is just not needed anymore. Whereas back in the 2600 days, or the Atari 2600 days, yes, I'm that old, um, it, it, you, it's required, absolutely required. You, you, know, it was just, you had to hit the hardware. There was no high-level language at all, nothing. Yeah, there's no uh, asset flips uh, back in the day. No, you know? what assets? Yeah. It's a blob on the screen. <laughs> you know, flickering one at that. Um, but um, no, they don't manage to make that thing sing for beyond me uh, and my comprehension. And similar to NES, that day they had to, you know, that was an amazing machine. But again, they, that was all hitting the, the, the chips. There was no high-level stuff at all, at all. Which is... Um, is- it's funny because I remember in high school, um, you know, senior year of high school, you have a, a meeting with your guidance counselor um, and you sit down. I think maybe this is the end of 11th grade, your junior year, you sit down and you look at what is your plan for your senior year. You're going to take the SATs, you're going to apply to XYZ schools, and you're going to go be this person for the rest of your life because you know that because you're 15 years old and you're ready. You're mature enough to make that decision right now with a guidance counselor. So I remember going in and I had written to uh, DigiPen, the Institute of Technology that is uh, works very closely with Nintendo. I don't know if it's still that way, but I remember reading that it was like a heavily sponsored Nintendo institution because they're so close up in Washington. And I remember showing this to my guidance counselor and saying, I love games. I love being creative. Maybe I can go to the school. And they looked at my math grades and they're like, yeah, that's not going to happen. You don't know, you know, we reviewed this. You don't have the technical, the practical coding skills to even, you know, look at the school, go do something else. Um, 
which was unfortunate. I always think about that moment. Uh, maybe, you know, where my life would have taken me had I said, ah, whatever, I'm going to apply anyways. But uh, I ended up going to film school and film led me to animation. Animation led me to Sanjay and Craig. And Sanjay and Craig eventually led me back to games. So I got there eventually. Yeah. But that that barrier of can you code um, was still alive and well, at least when I was in high school uh, in 2001. And yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I, I still don't have that uh, that knowledge. I, I'm ashamed to say that. I, th- I feel like every designer should know the limitations of the technology. Um, but I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to teach myself very slowly. Mm. Um, and I, I, the programmers on our team uh, that have made Freedom Finger sing and really function, I just have uh, utmost respect for. Um, you know, because I can't do that. No, unfortunately. But no animations and all the all the other crazy stuff that goes on they can't you know the programmers wouldn't know how to do when they attempt to do it it doesn't really turn out so well i love seeing like the the embryonic version of uh, braid if you look at the the game braid which is now very old it's over 10 years yeah. old yeah and yeah uh, but uh, jonathan blow and he's doing his thing and but he showed the, the prototype of it it looked like junk absolute junk i mean it played great <laughs> but it was just he would admit that, you know, and he'd hired artists to actually turn it into the game we all know now. And yeah, I had like the I had the reverse experience, you know, where I had this pool of animators and illustrators, voiceover talent, um, writers. I had the whole kind of creative side locked down, and I I had no way to apply it into a functional form. Um, and that was the biggest breakthrough is finding, uh, finding the right partner on both ends that both the illustrator and the programmer, you know, yeah. and that's really what, what made it possible. If I, yeah. if I'd picked anyone else, I don't think I would be talking to you right now. I probably would have, would have quit, uh, two years ago. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, like I said, it's all high level language now, C sharp and, and uh, uh, Unity and or Game Maker or all these other these tools or Unreal Engine, all this stuff is just that's made it a lot easier. It's still hard, but it's nowhere near oh, yeah. as hard as it used to be. We had to start from scratch, and indeed, there are still developers out there who go, you know what, I can still do better on that, and let's find okay, knock yourself out, you crazy <laughs> polymath, wild man, polymath person that you are, um, <laughs> which is a phrase I first encountered when I. When I started uh, delving into game development and understanding what it means, and uh, yeah, polymath is probably someone who's uh, all things to all people as regards to skills. Quite extraordinary. So uh, mm. there's a thing. So, as creator of things, Jim, what do you believe are your biggest influences? Um. Well, I would definitely say um, the. Sunday morning, Sunday comic strips, you know, that was, um, a ritual I had, uh, when I was a very young kid, um, getting the newspaper on Sunday, the Buffalo news and ripping out the comic section and just consuming, you know, all of the classics, uh, peanuts and, uh, some of the, the weirder one, Slylock Fox. I remember that was like a big influence on me. All, just all of them. Um, that was probably the first thing I really ever connected with. Um, you know, like creatively, I would, you know, trace them. I would draw them as best as I could. I would make my own. Um, that was huge. And that eventually led me to you know, my obsession with the, the Simpsons, as I'm sure any uh, any person who's in their, yeah, I'm 35, so who grew up with the Simpsons from the beginning, you were just, uh, just mainlining Bart Simpson and Homer into your soul at every possible moment that you could. Um, yeah, so I think those two shows and then, um, or the Simpsons and just comics in general, and yeah, I, I don't know. I I was fortunate enough that my parents were very liberal with the kind of 
um, the movies that we would watch uh, together as a family. Um, I remember seeing like, you know, the birds when I was in like fourth grade and it just, you know, just scaring me so much, like just being terrified of it. Um, so like horror films were a big thing for me. Uh, a buddy of mine and I, when we found that we couldn't go see the horror films that we wanted to see in movie theaters, they would kick you out because you're under 18. But we found a video rental shop not too far from our house that we would ride our bikes to. And there was one clerk, um, this uh, this woman, she must have been in her like early 20s, and she would rent us anything we wanted. So we made a vow to one another that we were going to clear the entire horror section from A to Z in order, Amityville Horror to Zombie, and just consume as much as we could. So that summer was so impactful on me creatively because we saw, you know, the greats. We saw Night of the Living Dead and, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and all those. And then we just saw so much shit, just like the worst B zombie movies and slashers. And we had such a blast. And I vividly remember that as another kind of turning point in just watching good films and bad films and beginning to learn the difference. And, you know, me and my buddy would talk about it and we'd have to tell our friends, you know, like, Oh, oh you got to watch, you know, slumber party massacre too. And we'd have to kind of like give them our version and describe it to them because they couldn't watch it. Um, so really kind of informed, uh, storytelling, you know, how do you convey the plot of this terrible horror movie to your friend make them a little jealous in the process because they can see it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so though, you know, in a nutshell, those were the, that kind of, uh, that group horror films in general comics. And of course the Simpsons have been the three biggest influences on me as a creative person in quotes, creative person. That that's a fantastic answer. Thank you very much. <laughs> I have a lot of developers sort of stumped by that, amazingly. Like, um, hmm, I've never been asked that before. It's a, quite a nebulous question, but you nailed it because you've got it. You know what I was trying to get at, what I was trying to to lean on. It's like, what is the thing you draw from? What, do you, what is the thing you, you orbit? It could be things, but you find yourself orbiting whether you like it or not. And that's just, you know, clearly you delved into the horror films for me if i may share that it would be yeah. that sort of formative years of watching those films watch it's definitely python films and like blackadder and young ones yeah that's that's really just like i can't let go of that humor um that's just you know bottom that's a bit later but you know that stuff was you know it's always been you know that that very caustic and it can be really caustic humor but um and very very satirical um and more and it's just like it's life-changing i mean when i think mm. when i think of the stuff that has had the biggest impact it's i mean really at the core of that is you know what's the thing that you're chasing what's the thing what's the one work that if you could conjure up your best work your best creative works would still kind of be in the shadow of X. What is that? But, you know, for me, it's just uh, the feeling, the experience I had as a kid watching, watching The Simpsons or the just like, I don't know, pure joy of getting a new uh, set of comics or walking out of that video store thinking like you just robbed a bank because you have you know, eight slasher films under your arm, like, yeah. holy shit, this is like that feeling. Yeah. There's nothing that can replace it, you know? No, no, I can completely relate. Uh, it's just the the sense of, um, I still remember when watching that episode, uh, Young Ones, the night before and the following day, the schoolyard would just be filled with, you know, just things that happened. The, did you see it? Did yeah. You see it? Can you did believe you it happened? You can yeah. believe, I still remember almost laughing myself unconscious when the you know the uh, someone rung the doorbell and 
the front door exploded. Of course it did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know. Because it had to. It needed it had to, to explode. And, yeah. yeah. And then, but then the explanation started flowing forth because most sort of comedies are just all like, oh, look, this just happened. But then it was a whole plot point by the door. It exploded. And it was, oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, it's like why is why is Motorhead in our kitchen? Because yeah. they need to be. Oh, because, they ha- yeah. there could be no other person in your kitchen but Motorhead. But Motorhead, yeah. And uh, to to this day, I just like even I, you know you think uh, as a person of significant age, I'm gonna say, just still hasn't really let go. <laughs> yeah, just, good. Still, never let go. Never, never let, let go. go. And I do uh, when people say, "Oh, grow up," like. Mm. It's a bit boring, isn't it? Yeah. What do you mean? Do you want me to go off and play golf or something? No. <laughs> no offense to anyone who plays golf. Sorry. But anyway. It's boring. It's okay. <laughs> they know it. A long walk ruined. Anyway. <laughs> Fourth question then of the first half. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Ooh. Um, man. Uh, that might be the one that stumps me. I... I... You know, um, so you sort of, it's just someone you go, you, you over there doing the thing, keep doing that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, you know, when I think about the games that um, they really uh, pushed me, I guess, and this is maybe I'll, I'll be judged and I deserve to be judged, but I don't know the, the names of the developers who made these games. I know I probably should, but all I can do is point to their works. Um, That's fine. That's fine. The one. Uh, that really stands out for me recently um, was the the Stanley Parable was probably a game that like kind of like shattered my reality for a while. Like um, it's one of those things that like when you play it, you're you feel relieved and uh, blessed to have played a game that funny and just unique, but also a little jealous, a little depressed that you didn't think of it yourself. Um, just like, fuck, why didn't I make that game? You know, it's, like, it is, that's, well, that's the best ones, isn't it? Yeah. Because you're and, right. It's just, just looking down and it's like, oh, you're going you're gonna to go, the character goes left now. And you go, yeah. Like, oh, oh, are you going to right, are you? All yeah. right. Really? You're going to go right, are you? Right. Let's see where this takes you. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and it's just wonderful. There's the whole, the whole playing on the choice, the freedom of choice, or the illusion. Correction, the illusion of choice in video games. That, that was what Stanley Parable was really built off. I know it's way more to it than that, much like Frog Factions. But ultimately, they they, they played that. Uh, they played that tune. They they played you. Uh, like an instrument, the player, you know, yeah. they they knew exactly what you're going to try and do. And the fact that they were always like five, ten steps ahead of you yeah. um, just goes to show the power of creating a, a small world, but a world that feels really cohesive and where the developers have complete mastery of the world that they've created, that there's no cracks that you can slip through that they haven't already planned for just goes to show the, the high level of design and craftsmanship that goes into creating something like that. Mm -hmm. And that, that definitely, you know, jarred something loose when, after I was done playing that, I just, and it's the one game I, I feel like is the most, one of the more, universal games for non-gamers to get into because it's literally a controller or a keyboard and a mouse and you don't shoot you don't need to kill anyone you don't need to pick anything up you just go and i mean how could it get any simpler than that you know like i don't think you can even jump in that game can you no i think yeah yeah i mean so yeah but yeah that that's definitely one that um that just kind of blew my mind and after i played that i was like okay this is this is what goes um it's so different than you know the process of making a tv show or a movie um it just showed that like this is the oasis of creativity is this is the next uh frontier potentially is making games on an independent level where you can do and say all of these crazy things and and do it very well you know it's basically, I love to sort of, and you can definitely, I'd like to think, relate to this, trying to pitch that, 
try to pitch that to a publisher or some other <laughs> studio. Just try, just explain it and go, get out, just get out. You'll be if that. you do, please please film it because I mean I think it would be very telling. You know, yes. like yeah, <laughs> just you, you um, yeah, but just just leave basically. Uh, but someone does ask you to do. Let's call the police. Some of them, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and when you've got that, when that kind of reaction, you go, "Oh, really? Thank you." And you just, you just like, like you're you're telling me this is a terrible idea. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm make it then. And it's because, like I said, you put, you read out in paper. You're like, this is terrible. <laughs> but I mean, some of the some of the best. I feel like the games. Um, that I love, and I guess I, I really gravitate towards the um, early uh, PlayStation One era. Is like where I was probably my most uh, fanatical about playing games and reading gaming news, and you know, feeling I had some like I was vested in PlayStation as a part of who I was and the games that came out for it. But some of the like, um, I'm trying to think, you know, like. Resident Evil, you know, I feel like if you were to pitch that as a movie at that time, it's like, yeah, it's a zombie movie. It's kind of been done. I don't know. You know, but then you play it in the experience of playing Resident Evil the first time. Um, Tomb Raider, you know, I've, I and I feel like it's it's funny because a lot of these have been since adapted to films incorrectly. Um, you know, it's like my big beef and I don't want to go off on a huge tangent, but my big beef with like video game adaptations is that they don't adapt the game. Um, you know, anyone that played Tomb Raider knows that one of the best moments of that game is when you get confronted by a T-Rex, you know, that there's dinosaurs, that you're uncovering this hidden world. And essentially what the movie was, was just kind of like, you know, sexy Indiana Jones. Um, it just feels like they totally, uh, underserved the, uh, the content, but yeah, so yeah, <laughs> that's my my movie rant. That's great. No, uh, you're right. The uh, two mediums should respect one another, but then again, you get things like Bandersnatch. You're like, oh, come on, now you've just changed things again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Netflix. Anyway, last question of the first half. See, look, almost done. Yeah. What are you playing right now? What am I playing right now? Oh, um, I can't even tell you the last game I picked up uh, just because we've been yeah. jamming on this. But um, that would have been adjunct, the... Yeah, I mean, I do have it to help you. I do have an adjunct to this question to help. If you haven't been playing anything apart from Freedom Finger for obvious reasons, um, <laughs> then um, uh, you can say what you plan to play after it's released. <laughs> but Oh, yeah. You, so you, Yeah, so you can do two. So... What are you currently playing? If you to, to, just to relax or to switch your brain off? Here, check this out. Let me just. Okay. Okay, I'm back. Let's grab in the box. So I have uh, next to my desk. I have the stack of games that. This is what I've been collecting for the last um, two years. Games right. that I have an, right. an interest in playing. They're still in the cellophane. They have yet to be opened. This is just a few of them. Um, Red Dead Redemption 2. Yep. Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunset Overdrive. Uh, Metal Gear Rising. Right. Uh, Crackdown 2. Because I, I played it and I got rid of it for some reason. I love Crackdown 2. I haven't played that in forever. Um, so that's going to be my first pile to kind of hit once I get some more free time. Um, but the last game I played that I really loved um, and I made time for was the Resident Evil 2 remake because again, being a fan of that uh, of PlayStation, PlayStation 1, Resident Evil 2 is like a high watermark of you know games that came out on that system and the remake was just uh, so much fun. So much fun. It brought back it, it did all the best things about a, that a remake should. It, you know, serviced the nostalgia, but it added, uh, you know, new the new bells and whistles that we expect. And uh, just a just a good game, like and a game that I could finish in a weekend. People that are making short games, God bless you. You know, like it's 
I got a kid I'm working I'm making a game. If I can sit down and finish your game in under 15 hours, I'm your man. You know, I will buy those games. Um, so I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that it was short, sweet, replayable. Um, a lot of things that we try to fold into freedom finger as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's many people are going to sort of look at, um, what Square Enix are doing to a certain uh, RPG with the number seven in it. Um, people get excited <laughs> about that, or not, as the case may be. Um, there's some um, issues with the fact that it's going to be episodic, but they don't want to actually put part one into the game name because then no one's going to buy it, apparently. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is part one. What was part two and three? Oh, that'll be out. You know, so, oh, I'll just wait for that. No, please. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they haven't even really talked about the when those other parts are coming which is no. kind of a bummer right i think they're just waiting on the success of this this thing because you know they they're they're a company is there any question is yeah. there any question that it's not going to just be a gigantic dump truck of cash being backed up to their headquarters like i i mean i, I mean if they are iffy about the success of this game i think it speaks volumes about the greater video game the sustainability of the video game industry if they're like oh, i don't know yeah, um just that's the, terrifying the investment return etc your least amount of risk and all that you'd think this is the path of least resistance one of the most celebrated rpgs but personally never finished it because i got bored of the chocobo bit i don't care about yellow birds i love it oh that was the best <laughs> it was just when they started gambling i was like oh, that's it that's it i'm done <laughs> I just quit, and it was, I, I was a big gaming regret because I should have finished it. Because I did, you know, I, don't, I can play RPGs and I'm finished them. It's fine. It's just that one bit, I, I don't care. I just stopped caring. Yeah. Can I trigger, fine. Don't problem. I, I don't mind fighting monsters and other monsters. Fine. It's great. But this, no. Anyway. And you can't go back now. You can't go play the original and still. No, I mean, what's really <laughs> twisted is I played the PC version, not the, the PlayStation. Oh. Version. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So it looked slightly better, but even still, it was like, birds, yellow things, oh, I don't care. <laughs> anyway, so um, that's a fine list. That's a fine list of, of games uh, to, to play. And uh, yeah, Red Dead, that will just last you for, uh, whoa. Uh, if you let it, if you let it. It doesn't have to. Yeah, I hear the, the tutorial is like five days long. Um, yeah, if, if you let it be, yeah. Um, yeah. There's the whole thing of um, hunting and then the skinning and then... You think, you know, um, uh, Monster Hunter games are bad. There's nothing on that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that's the end of the first half. Thank you. All right. Um, we did it. Now, going to take a flight of fancy across the space universe with a giant spaceship in the shape of a finger, or a fist, actually. Or both. Both. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's been
So, before we delve into that, we need to know what is Freedom Finger. Freedom Finger is a music-driven side-scrolling shooter, and it stars uh, Nolan North. John DiMaggio, Sam Regal, and Eric Bauza, and it features music from a variety of bands and artists such as uh, Aesop Rock, Red Fang, um, Power Trip, Mets, and many, many more. So if you love shooters, if you love music, if you love animation and just crazy stories in general, um, we're your game, and we're out on... Steam and Switch. Yeah, it's a game I encountered at PAX, and uh, well, this year, last year, and uh, I immediately sort of gravitated towards it. Extraordinary animation, music, the whole shebang, and we're going to delve into it now. But um, it is a lefty-righty shooter in the same vein as our type, if you will, or Salamander, or mm, the, the Gradius series of games um all that kind of stuff the good um, ones yeah yeah not up and downy which is Kikaruga is <laughs> the up and downy one all right it's not that it's lefty righty yes and, the way it should uh, be where it should be and um <laughs> one of the most prominent things about those games was the power-ups and you've got a very interesting method of gaining one a power-up you you've got to earn it I mean, in those other games, you just got to shoot stuff, and eventually, if you if you you know time it right and the bullet held, you manage to dodge all that. You just might, just might, pick up a thing, a glowy orange. It's normally orange, uh, and uh, then you've got a little thing of a power up here on the bottom of the screen, which you may or may not select. It all depends on what kind of thing you want to become. Like you know, I played uh, Darius three, was it two on the Saturn recently? I streamed it. And that game, you need to get all your power-ups, otherwise it's just a waste of time. But Absolutely. You do, you're, you're just unstoppable. You are actually yeah. unstoppable. <laughs> um, whereas Freedom Finger, you've got to take them, yeah. people. You've got to forcibly take from others. So you basically, your ship is a fist. The, it's a giant flying, uh, your ship is shaped like a flying hand. You shoot a laser uh, out of your middle finger. Um, You can punch enemies in kind of like a little melee attack. You can do kind of like a punch combo and a little uppercut. Or, uh, yeah, as as you said, you can grab. And grabbing is useful for essentially turning your enemies into your weapon. So if you see a guy who's a little tank who's shooting missiles, if you grab him, you can kind of... Now you're shooting missiles. That's your power-up is this guy. And then when you're done, you throw him away. You throw him into his buddies. (laughs) Yeah. And you pick up something else, you know? I just want to know how the devil did that come about. Where where did that come from? Talk us through Um, because, like I said, you broke the upgrade model. That's not how it's done, Jim. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah, we... We... um, we developed that over a much longer period of time than um, than I'm willing to admit. It took a long time for us to land where we landed. Uh, the initial version of the game had full-on power-up icons. There's a lot of powers and stuff, a lot of cool stuff that isn't in the final game that enemies would drop. You grab it, you grab the little floating F or whatever it is, and then there you go, you got a flamethrower. Um, but... When we were showing the game off at GDC um, and pitching it to developers, uh, they're all really excited about like the punch. You know, the fact that you could punch and you could punch it. Uh, if there's an object, you could punch it into an enemy and and all that. But it was very limiting because we had to line up those moments. If we wanted you, because you can only really punch, you know, to the right. Uh, if we wanted you to be able to punch enemy a and enemy b we kind of have to line them up vertically and horizontally so you can do it took a lot of the fun out of it felt very forced and that was a piece of feedback we received that hey you know i I can kind of feel the way you're making me play the game i wish i could just take it and do with it as i wish and someone had mentioned that on our team earlier 
Um, we have a spaceship that is shaped like just, it's basically a shotgun with wings on it. And it's like, I want to grab that thing. So we said, let's try it. And this was probably, I want to say like late last year that we implemented grab and it just completely opened the game up where, um, we no longer have to line up those moments. We could put the mines or the the kind of very throwable projectiles down at the bottom and let the player, if they want to, if you want to risk it, if you want to go down there and grab one of those things, you're going to have a very powerful object to throw at the next wave of enemies. But if you don't, you know, it's up to you. So it really allowed the player to have a more um, fluid way of attacking. You know, if you want to camp out, if you grab an enemy that you like, um, you can hang on to that enemy as long as you don't take damage. Uh, if you have that option on and, um, yeah, and let you hang on to that for as long as you want. Um, so that was, it was really, um, something that it, it opened up our design. It opened up the, the freedom of the player to play the game and engage in combat how they would want to. And once you have kind of tasted that kind of freedom in a game, you can't go back to just like the flying letters, the glowing letters, you know, it's like, this is too much fun. And it makes for, I think, a, a more interesting uh, play session. So that was kind of our, our process, how we got there. It took a while. It was one of the last things we added, but probably the most important thing. Mm. Yeah, it just, it's, uh, I'm going to use, I was going to use a horrible phrase, but I'm not going to now, but you know what I mean? You can do the, the word unique and just leave it there. But it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing that's, that's different to other things. That yeah. makes Freedom Finger different to other things. There. <laughs> there, I did it. I'm proud of myself. Speaking of different and other things that are unique, I haven't encountered this before. There's something called the stealth mechanic in Freedom Finger. Um, that basically, it's a little bar on the top right-hand corner, which increases, not reduces, because that's your, your health is on the top left-hand. Uh, and uh, this increases as enemies pass you by. That's yeah. how stealth works in Freedom Finger, everyone. You're just basically, uh, it's not really stealth. It's called that, but really the, the premise being that if you kill everything, then they can't actually let anyone know that you're around because you've blown them up. Yeah, no witnesses. <laughs> no witnesses. So if you, yeah. Plausible if, deniability, I believe. Absolutely. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> Basically, you have to um, – the context of this mission is that you are on a, a rescue mission to save some scientists who have been uh, held hostage on the moon yes. by uh, Chinese terrorists, of course. Uh, pesky Chinese terrorists. They're just the constantly – they're plague. And you have to stop them, but you have to do it um, – got to be smart about it you can't leave any witnesses we don't want this getting out you need to get in save them and get out so the idea and the absurdity of stealth being anyone who essentially survives um was there is an interesting mechanic to keep the player engaged that way you can't kind of like cheese your way through a level you actually have to engage the enemy but also to uh add another scoop of um just absurdity to the situation and the context of the story that, uh, in order to save people, you have to kill everyone. Um, and stealth is essentially not who notices, but who's left standing, you know? (laughs) I just, I just, so that's the premise of the, how the idea come about. Was it just to make sure that people did their job and blow everything up? Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of in service of the story. Um, I don't think, you know, uh, anyone is gonna who's gonna play a shooter is going to try and just avoid enemies. So that was kind of the more secondary motive for including it. Um, it's also one of the things that uh, we allow the player to turn off um, because the in the later levels, the threshold, the number of enemies you have to destroy um, in order to avoid a stealth failure is fairly high. So it. We also see that as another way of um, increasing the difficulty in the game, which is uh, you know really important to us, offering a, a challenge. But it's one of those things that if the player is not feeling or that they don't want that extra pressure, um, 
they can turn it off. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the other thing about Freedom Finger. It's quite modular in that way. You can turn things on and off. Um, as, as a PC gamer, I do love diving into options because that's what we do. Yeah, that's the first place to go. You know, yeah. when you boot up a game, is like, what can I tinker with? You know? Yeah, yeah. it always amuses me when you do that on the console. Like, we well, can, I don't know, change the brightness a bit. How about that? Like, ah, <laughs> what is it? Fine. Yeah, and it, <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, and I think that's the other thing is, you know, shooters, um, they're kind of the arcade nature of the game. It's a little retro, you know, and I think um, when a lot of people think of bullet hell, they think of games, you know, like you mentioned, like Ikaruga and games that are insane. Like the people, I I mean, I want to judge anyone for what they play, but if you play those games, you are you are on a different level of uh, existence than the rest of us because they are they're just they're insane. I, I can't comprehend those games. They're too fast for me. They're too intense. They're way too stressful, and I didn't want anyone who's curious about the game, the story, the characters, and the music to not be able to experience the game because of um, an arbitrary difficulty that we set as the developer. So we're uh, very happy to offer everyone, uh, as you said, a lot of options. You can kind of custom fine-tune the game. Uh, to how you want to experience it. So yeah, if you're just if you're curious about the story, you're a fan of Nolan, you love animation, you want to hear all the music, then we have like a story mode setting that gives you a little bit more health and kind of like you know makes it a little bit more powerful and it just makes the game uh, a little easier, a little bit more uh, carefree, you know, to just yeah. kind of take it in. Speaking of taking things in, uh, that's not a link. I'm just going to move on anyway. The music, <laughs> sir. The music. Yeah. Um, there's some games out there that don't have music simply as a thing that's played in the background, which is still important, but some of them change what's going on on the screen as well based on what the tempo of the music is doing. And uh, Freedom Finger does that uh, to the point where it actually alters the speed at which the game is progressing. How on earth did this come about and why? Um, I'm a huge, huge uh, fan of music. I mean, who who isn't? Who hates music? Um, but I... But yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I guess my point is music is a, plays a very big part in everything that I make. Um, it's a big part of the shows I make. It's a big part of... Uh, you know, the content I make as a, as a filmmaker, music is generally at the heart of uh, everything I make, and the game is no different. Um, you know, I had a playlist that I loved. You know, I would listen to constantly. About 90% of those songs are in the game. And, um, yeah, I, the way that essentially the levels play out is that the action is tied to the music, so if there's the beat drops, the action might stop. If there's a guitar solo and it's, you know, just shredding, then the game is going to throw everything we have at you. And I just love that variety. Um, I love that we could go from a band like Power Trip, who plays just like, you know, face melting metal to in the next level or a few levels later, you're listening to cleaners from Venus and you're just kind of, you know, tapping your toe to something that's a little bit more, more mellow. Um, it prevents the game, I think from being one note where level to level, the vibe, the tone, the pace changes, which is to me exciting to not know if the next level is going to be, you know, a face melter or something that's a little bit more atmospheric. Um, and I think it services the just the atmosphere of each level. Um, we tried to really tie it to the action and where you are um, within the story. So I think all those things really, as a music-driven game, empower us to make a more uh, dynamic game and give the player something that is more unexpected than, you know, if we were just like, eh, it's a shooter game, let's just throw some metal, some some guitars under it and you're listening to that for 90 minutes straight, you know? Um, so it was about variety and 
you know, allowing us to kind of uh, have have more of that variety in the game. Well, it worked for Super Hexagon, so, you know, why not Freedom Finger? <laughs> Although, Super Hexagon, you only listen to the first 30 seconds. Mm. So that woman says, line. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, no, I, I failed again. But, uh, again. Uh, again. <laughs> but, um, no, it's a fantastic answer. And you're right. Um, the, the, this, you know, Tetris, um, the, the latest Tetris game, not the 99, the other one, experience, is it? Um, that's got some wonderful, wonderful infusion of music. And it reminded me a lot of Freedom Finger in some regards because it does change the tempo based on what music's being played. And uh, it's wonderful that music is once again being put in centre stage and saying, look, come on. Remember the plastic guitars used to wait around? Well, it's still, it's not gone away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think, you know, other games like uh, Just Shapes and Beats, you know, that's another great example of a music-driven game that, I mean, without the music, um, that game doesn't exist, you know, in its current form. And yeah, it's uh, it's tough, you know, going with the licensed music, as you know, we we're talking about earlier, uh, presents its own set of challenges, both both in you know logistics and cost. It was a nightmare to license, you know, like we got forty songs. Um, yeah, don't do that. Uh, it's yeah, it's not don't do that. Pro tip. It's <laughs> it's just a lot. It's a lot. I I wrote if if there's any developers who are interested. Um, on our website, I linked to a Reddit post I made where I kind of broke down the process of how we went about licensing the music. Um, WideRightGames.com, it's in there. Um, so if you're curious and you really, you know, are glutton for punishment and you want to license music for your game, it is possible. Um, it's just, uh, it's incredibly difficult and you really got to want it. And you really got to see the value that the music is going to bring to your game that no composer, which is bound to be cheaper and more flexible and all the good things that you want from a creative partner uh, can't bring you. So if there's a certain like that, you know, for me, the the images of these levels were locked. They were just married to the music. There was no other song that would do and in some cases when we couldn't get the song we i didn't even attempt to make those levels just because i'm i couldn't separate them so if that's if you're obsessed with a piece of music it's going to add a very specific very valuable thing to your game that it probably is worth doing but if it's just you know yeah you know i i like this song and it'd be cool to have it in there oof, you're you're gonna have a bad time <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, for us, Kane uh, Rince, that uh, you know, we have another show called uh, the Sound of Play, which celebrates the scores of uh, video games. And uh, yeah, I, I'd be very surprised if not some, if not all, of uh, the tracks in Freedom Fight Finger find its way on that show at least once or twice. Uh, awesome. But it'd be it'd be lovely to to have that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a thing. Uh, music and video games should be celebrated. We at Kane Rince do it all the time. Did it for years. Um, so, last question, and this is something that I was going to sort of like hint at before we talk but the, 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 the virtual green room that we have here at Sausage uh, Factory. But um, I noticed the presentation of Freedom Finger looks—it's like it's been torn from a satirical publication stroke cartoon. Um, talk us through how this evolved. Is it basically your? This is your creative sort of stamp because it looks like you are clearly clearly a uh, an animator cartoonist etc etc is that really is that that's your thing is it your your putting your your brand if you will for of a better horrible phrase <laughs> yeah um unfortunately I, I can't take credit for it um uh, all of the 90 percent of the art that you see in the game was drawn by the art director travis millard who okay. is a fantastic illustrator and artist He's done. Um, I mean, every he's he's one of those uh, one of those guys. When you you see his work, um, there's nothing else like it. Uh, he's still doing his thing as an independent artist. He contributes to uh, Mad Magazine. He does album covers for guys like Kurt Vile and Dinosaur Junior and Aesop Rock. And um, 
Yeah, and he he makes zines, he makes comic books, he's dabbling in animation. We've made cartoons together, and there's just something about uh, Travis uh, his you know his aesthetic, his approach, the style that when I played, um, you know, when I saw Freedom Finger in my mind's eye, like it was always drawn by him. But there's just something about the um, the style, the kind of crumpled a little smudgy kind of kind of gross but rounded almost cutesy kind of style that's a terrible description of it but like uh that's how i saw it and um just like the music i i don't think i could have made this game with any other illustrator i don't think any other style would have um been sufficient you know it was just one of those things where i'd i'd worked with travis i'd known him for years and when I closed my eyes and, and saw the game, like it was in his style. So it was, it took some convincing for him, uh, to do it just because if he was going to own it, he would have to draw, you know, nearly everything. And, uh, when you, you know, sit down with someone like, Hey, do you want to spend the next three years drawing thousands of drawings? Um, for a video game, it's it's a hard sell, you know. It was a hard sell, but I'm I'm glad that he bit, and uh, I think um, it's a great representation of his style and what he's capable of as a as an artist. Um, it goes well with the themes and everything that we're trying to say with the game, you know. Yeah, and when you mentioned Mad Magazine, that's the first thing that struck me when I walked up to and saw the game for the first time. It's like an animated Mad Magazine cartoon strip. Yeah. It really is. I mean, this is some of my most fond memories as a child is, is reading those magazines um, and uh, they, uh, seeing the... Uh, I love the uh, film uh, spoofs that used to do. Um, the best. I think... Yeah, um, yeah also with Magdum. That was hilarious. But... <laughs> I, I should have... I failed to mention that in my influences, but Mad Magazine is probably... I, lump that in with comics. But yeah, I think, uh, that was a huge, mm. huge influence on me. I, um, one of my most prized possessions in my house is I have a bunch of original mad magazine artwork from back in the day. And, um, one of my favorite illustrators, uh, Tom bunk, um, who originally worked on the garbage pail kids. He did a lot of those designs as very much that style that kind of, grimy little you know oozing cartoon style i see a lot of that in travis's work and that's the kind of stuff i love you know it's like uh funny and a little gross um and just absurd you know and uh that could probably be the the tagline for the game too (laughs) yeah yeah definitely (laughs) definitely i think um for me, Mad Magazine was the was the thing that basically stopped Poltergeist from being scary for me because I saw Poltergeist somehow, and then uh, after it was terrifying, and uh, it, well, it really was. Uh, and then um, they, they they did a spoof in Mad Magazine, and it reduced in, into a com- comedy classic. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, she's stuck in the telly, and they take it to they go <laughs> off and take it to a repairman. It's like, oh. Little eight-year-old girl stuck in a TV. That's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, you know what's what's weird about it is I I had a, like a lot of the reverse experience where I inherited like a cousin's collection of Mad Magazine, uh, Mad Magazines from like the seventies and eighties. Yeah, yeah. And then you know I'd look and see a parody of like A Clockwork Orange. I didn't know what that movie was. Right. Um, so a lot of times my first like frame of reference for a film. Or a movie, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was all from Mad Magazine first. And then when I would see the movies, I'd be like, oh, this is – yeah, I remember where there was the first panel, the Clockwork Orange parody is yeah. the drunk guy in the tunnel and they're all, you know, talking their gibberish. And it's like – yeah, it's weird. I had in some cases a, a, the flip of that, you know? Yeah, wow. I, I, I had my – my uh, nightmares crushed, crushed by Mad Magazine. You, you had the inverse. <laughs> it was wonderful, um, and it's yeah, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's an extraordinary thing to sort of sort of bleed in, into that. 
And uh, I think also like a um, similar sort of experience I've had is Blair Witch Project. When I first watched that, that that's you know, a fairly scary film. It does a lot with your mental sort of... Um, it's very cleverly done. And then I made the terrible mistake of watching the... Uh, the director's uh, commentary version. Don't do not do that. <laughs> uh, don't do that. Because they didn't describe how they spent all their time terrorising the performers because it was hilarious. It was just basically... Oh, man. Yeah, it was just because the performers <laughs> didn't know exactly where the next scene was going to be. They were just reacting to... Because that was meant to be enhancing the experience, which clearly it was, doing a great job of doing that. And because uh, they didn't know what how the story was going to end, because that was the whole premise of the how the how the film was created, which you and I know is bloody dangerous, but that's what they did. And uh, they were telling stories about, oh yeah, so this me and some other you know the producer or something, we were just banging and making noises and <laughs> <laughs> just terrorizing uh. these guys and like, oh, it's just taking away all the magic, you know. That's, uh, that's so fun though, yeah, like and that's. And that's so unique to live action. I don't know that you could uh, get a spontaneous uh, voiceover performance for uh, for animation. I mean, no. maybe you could. Maybe you put Nolan North in the booth and you just have him read a teleprompter in character. Yeah. You know, he doesn't know yeah. what the next line is or what the context <laughs> is at all. Like, that would be insane. Yeah, just, uh, like, well, well, just, just read it as you react. You know, yeah. you know the mask you're wearing, because that's what actors do. They wear this this mask. And you're performing that per- part you know what they are know who they are and what their motives are and what their neuroses are and that kind of thing you know all that so read that line based on that off you go but i mean that's borderline a uh like a hostage video you know where they're just reading a card (laughs) yes i agree with this i am fine i love my country you know like it would just be it would be a goddamn mess yeah but clearly worked with blair witch didn't it so there we go yeah that's what they did they didn't tell him they didn't tell him that's Freedom Finger 2. Yeah. Under <laughs> duress. <laughs> I'll send the check. Anyway, uh, well, uh, invoice. Sorry, I send the invoice. So there we, yeah. we go. Just, we just, we just uh, yeah, brainstormed the sequel to Freedom Finger. You're welcome, everyone. We did it. Uh, we did it. <laughs> so, Freedom Finger by Wide Right Interactive is out now on Windows PC and Nintendo Switch. Um, that's right. It's not on other platforms. It's Windows um, and... I guess yeah. We're we're working on Xbox One okay. and PlayStation Four. Um, I'm hoping that by the time this comes out, we'll also have the Mac build up for all the uh, the, t- the five people who are going to buy the game uh, for a Macintosh platform. Um, but yeah, so it'll be by the end of the year everywhere. Uh, and nowhere at the same time. Yeah, um, we yeah. we do live in interesting times in terms of platforms because you and I know 2020 is going to be interesting and expensive. Oh yeah, <laughs> too expensive. Yeah. Yes, twice. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, never mind. <laughs> you know, got progress and all that. Streaming yeah. something, perhaps. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Stadia. Whatever. No one's going <laughs> to no buy that. Okay. <laughs> Jim, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're more than welcome to come back and chat about whatever future. Clearly, the Freedom Finger 2 game we just developed. Uh, um, but uh, come back. Uh, we have had return guests. We have many return guests recently. The show's been running that long that people said, I've made another thing. <laughs> Let's I look forward them. to that. That would be, that'd be a real honor. So uh, it, does, it does mean we skip most of the first half. <laughs> <laughs> It's a short episode. Yeah, we'll know that bit. Just go just listen to the previous episode. But yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. 